how difficult it must have been for this king that's used to kind of getting up on somebody. He's kind of used to getting the edge. He is smart. He's a strategist. He got to be king by whooping up on somebody else that was not as good as he was. So now all of a sudden, they know, uh, they know what's going on. And he's like, look, who is the informant? You think there are links, uh, leaks and problems in our current uh, presidential administration. Imagine what this guy was thinking. Uh, there wasn't any social media. There wasn't anybody trying to record something and distribute it for their own gain. This guy is seriously troubled by this. Listen to what the Bible says. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Uh-oh. Now that's a scary one. You think you want to go somewhere and have a private conversation, typically, uh, you will go in and say, uh, we're going we're to close this door. Well, well, now he takes away the ability you have to even have a private conversation. This man of God, this prophet in Israel, his name was Elisha, and he hated him automatically. This is the enemy. So listen to what he says. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses, the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, My master, what shall we do? So let's get a couple of things straight. First of all, they sent an entire army after this guy. They weren't going down here when the Bible says that I may send and get him. He was not talking about the idea of I, want, I would like to have lunch with this man. Uh, we, we need to get to know each other. No, no, no. When the Bible says I'm going to go get him, I think he's fixing to get got. You don't want to be in that kind of getting got. It's a bad deal. This guy was fixing to get it and he was fixing to get it from a big army and they knew exactly where he was. Then Elisha's got a servant. The man of God has a servant that gets up early in the morning not knowing any of this is going on and he's totally shocked and surprised by the array of the enemy that is opposing him. You ever felt like you got up in the morning and you got kicked in the teeth by life and it was just coming at you fast and it just kept piling up on you all day long? Well, that's kind of how this guy was feeling when he got up. Listen to what, listen to what he says though. Master, what shall we do? Who did he leave out of that? Well, i got to tell you, God put a fight or flight mechanism in all of us. Fight or flight. Uh, you're going to fight or you're going to run. Well, I, I, I like the idea of running. I think me and this servant would have got along real good because what we would do is run as fast as we could away from that army. But there was one character in this story that this servant of the man of God was not considering, and that was God and his army that was also in array. The picture that an artist drew of this circumstance happening so long ago is one that captures your imagination. A picture's worth a thousand words sometimes. And whenever we stop in our imagination, one of the most powerful engines of our brain that God put in us, that makes us creative, that really makes us like Him, at least to a degree, Imagine this moment where the man of God and Elisha are standing there and they're in Dothan and this great army of the Syrians, not a few people, a great army is surrounding them and the Bible says this. So he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us 
are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Well, we're not alone after all. We're not even close to being alone. This is getting to be a better deal all the time. Here I thought we were take, fixing to have certain death and we were fixing to get whooped upside and, and down. We were fixing to die. And now all of a sudden, God opens his eyes and shows him the real characters that are at work and fighting this battle. And the real characters are incredibly and infinitely powerful. When you stop and consider these chariots and all the things that were around them, when the Bible says, behold, the mountain uh, uh, was full of horses and chariots of fire all around them, we're talking about angels, uh, chariots of fire. We're talking about angels that literally some of their root name are anchored in fire. Angels are not those little, and we'll talk about them this week. Uh, angels are not those kind of float around, uh, just one of those float around on the cloud, uh, made little puffy things that you hang on the wall of the bathroom. That's really not what we're talking about. We're talking about beings that are incredibly powerful, not just a little bit, a lot powerful. And they show up in this way that is so amazing and it was so faith-building instantly because this guy, he's not dumb. He realizes real quick, it, it's a numbers game. Those of us, those that are with us, the Bible says, those, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I think all of us in this room have to have that understanding and that faith-building reality to our faith in order to accomplish some of the seemingly insurmountable odds that are stacked against us. Well, Lord, open our eyes to see Jesus. The greatest thing in all the world that we have the privilege to preach is Jesus Christ. And of all the things that Satan wants to do, he wants to crowd out Jesus. He wants to crowd out his voice from your ears. He wants Jesus to be some foggy, dim thing. In fact, on the way to, uh, to church, Julie's given a report to her family. Uh, Landon Bank can verify this. And they want to know everybody's safe and sound and all that good stuff. And they start asking about, well, how is it? How's the weather? Well, it happens to be 101 at 715. 101 degrees at 715 at night. That's not like it is at home. Uh, really ever. And so we're trying to explain that and say, well, it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of like Shreveport, but you can see mountains up, uh, whatever it is. Trying to understand where we are. My family's, Julie's family's never been to Bakersfield, California that I know of. They, they've never known what it is to drop through all those canyons from L.A. It, it, it's amazing. As I was driving up here, we think we have mountains until you drive up here. And I know those were just kind of foothills. But again, it's amazing as you try to help other people see what you're seeing and know what you know. And isn't that exactly what we're trying to do with the gospel? We're trying to get people to see what we see and know what we know. And it's the hardest job in the world because there are so many competing things that get us off track. If you've ever been to an eye doctor before, one of the things they do is... Uh, they put little apples up there and they tell you, do you see this? Do you see that? Do you? Well, I've moved it over here. Is it on top of the table now? And sometimes those things, if you ever go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, they just play games with you sometimes. I'm pretty convinced. I think it's just something they enjoy doing. But they try to move it around and all of a sudden what they want to know is, do you see what they're showing you? 
And they have to test that. And a lot of times that's exactly what we do when we preach the gospel because there are a lot of things that people that have studied the Word of God, that are preaching the Word of God, fully understand or fully appreciate, maybe maybe not even fully, but we're trying to appreciate it. And we're trying to share it for all we're worth. So tonight we're going to begin with the idea of, Lord, open our eyes to see Jesus. In John 12, 16, His disciples did not understand these things The Bible says, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. And the Bible says, and they came to Philip, this is on later in that same chapter, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him, say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. The story of Lazarus is amazing. You go back to John uh, and you find the Gospel of John tells us about the friend of Jesus, Lazarus. He was also friends with Mary and Martha. They, they kind of hung out together. If you got Jesus in some sort of a bubble where he never hung out and had a good time with somebody, you didn't know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus very well. Because they knew all about family and they knew all about relationships. When their brother died and he was dead for four days, and they finally meet up with Jesus, they guilt him a little bit, just like good good friends and family would. You know, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You ever had somebody guilt you in your family? It's like, if there are five love languages, that's got to be the sixth love language. But it is what it is. Family does that. We just kind of do that to each other sometimes. Well, Jesus shows up. And he, of course, raises Lazarus from the grave. And it was such a magnificent moment that the Bible says that the Jews were so confounded by the evidence of that resurrection that they wanted to kill Jesus and they wanted to come and they wanted to get Lazarus because that was the evidence that Jesus truly was who he said he was. So now, now the evidence is showing up. Now, if I can get this to do, thank you. We wish to see Jesus. You see, people, whenever they examine the evidence of these stories as they're preached, they begin to realize, wait, I want to know Him too. I want to to listen to what He has to say. The Bible says again in John chapter 12, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. This He said, signifying by what death He would die. He goes on to say in verse 37, But although He had done so many signs before them, they did not believe Him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn and so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. A lot of things in here. First of all, whenever Jesus talked about what signifying death he would die, the Jews were the ones who had a big beef with Jesus. The Jews were the ones that could not stand Jesus, they, they thought that he was their enemy because he was somebody that everybody wanted to go and listen to. 
It kind of reminded them of John. John was the cousin of Jesus. He never performed a miracle, yet he was the guy that was like the steamroller that came in and plowed down and plowed up and steamrolled all the pride and all the, the, the vicious, awful evil that was going on in Judea and Jerusalem and all of Israel at that time. And the Bible says that all these people were coming out and being baptized by him in the Jordan under the baptism of repentance. And the Pharisees didn't like it very much. They didn't like anybody stealing their thunder. Do you know the difference between people that are really out for God and out for Jesus and want to help you make it to heaven? It's pretty easy to figure them out. They're the ones that are plenty willing for anybody, and it doesn't matter who, to get the credit for whatever God is going to work and whatever he's going to accomplish. Because one thing I've learned, one thing I've absolutely learned that I can share with you is, it is not within men that hold the power of salvation to anybody in this room. It is someone whose name is Jesus Christ. And don't ever forget that. If, I, if you don't remember anything else I say, the power of the gospel is not in men. It's in the reality that Jesus was who he said he was. Notice here, these people love the praise of men more than the praise of God, and they were worried that these people would put them out of the synagogues. Back in John's day, John told those same people, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He said, you need to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. That was a message they did not want to hear. Yet whenever Jesus would describe this message and he would preach this, the Bible says he told about what kind of death he would die. The amazing part about this is the Jews had lost their ability to put anybody to death. They were under Roman rule. They didn't have that ability. So here he says, look, I'm fixing to be lifted up from the earth and I will draw all people to myself, signifying by what death he would die. He was a prophet. He was telling people, this is how it's going to happen. And the Jews could not have understood that. But looking back, looking back, whenever they looked back and they remembered these things, they could see that he truly was the Son of God. And you've got to see that Jesus You've got to see the one that not only came, but he was so determined to save you and save me and save this entire, in, in this entire world that he was willing to fight the very odds, you might say, that were against him because the Jews were not able to, to do the death. It was only the Romans that were going to be able to do the death that he was going to die. Well, Jesus opened the word to help people see the Christ. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 24, the marching orders to his disciples before they preached the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So let me get this straight. Jesus said, Look, these are the words which I spoke. All these words were fulfilled... They are written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And I want you to know, I have qualified myself to be your Messiah. I'm the Christ. And you're going to be able to check this out for the rest of your life. You're going to be able to go and say, hey, look at the law of Moses and see how he was just like Moses. You're going to be able to go to the prophets like Isaiah 53. That was the first sermon. The springboard for the first sermon that a man who was an Ethiopian nobleman heard in Acts the 8th chapter. The Psalms, when you read Psalms 22 and you think of David and you think of Jesus on the cross, David never experienced any of those things, yet David by inspiration was writing about a Savior that was a long time away from even stepping foot into the world. And Jesus basically said, look, I'm telling you about all these things definitively. 
I am the qualified, I am the person that is qualified to be your Messiah. And you're going to be able to take this message and you're going to be able to know that I am the Christ. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. The Bible says, then he said, thus it was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. I love this passage because the Bible says it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Who do you think he suffered for? When you got up this morning, if you're like most of us, you got in front of a mirror. Things overnight don't go well. Things just don't go well. Your hair is a hot mess. Your face, I don't know, I don't know how as I get older that many creases can get in my face just from on one pillow. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me, but that's kind of how it rolls out. Uh, I don't know if you're one of those people that sleeps with your mouth open or closed or not, but I can promise you everybody needs a good toothbrushing in the morning. Everybody needs to wash their face. Everybody needs to fix their hair. And you don't do that without a mirror. It's a funny thing. It's a real funny thing. You look into it and you kind of know how it goes. It was necessary this morning for you to look into the mirror and say, hey, I got some stuff I got to fix. Do you want to know who has the authority to tell you you have to change your life? Not me. Don't look at me as some judgmental human being that has a right to, to come and rearrange your life. Jesus does. Because he suffered for you. He suffered. He had to suffer. And the commitment he had to, hit to that suffering for you is a commitment that you need to make to him. Because you can't do for him, no matter if you live the best life in the world, what he did for you. You'll just have lived a good life. He gave his life for you. You can't pay that back. There's no amount of money you can go borrow and pay it back. There's no good deed you're going to be able to do. When the scripture says that it was written that the Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That was God's plan and Jesus' love for us to not only qualify Him to be the Christ, but to also qualify Him to look you and me in the eye every time the Word of God is preached and every time we meditate upon it for Him to be able to say, I have the authority and I am the one that can change your life. And I will, if you'll let me. In Revelation 3, one of the last pictures you see of Jesus on the earth is, a, is an image. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture from John. As he was inspired and Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come in and sup with him and he with I. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of free will happening. The Lord's not going to come in and steamroll you. He's not going to come in and beat the door down. Not going to happen. He's going to knock. He is going to knock. We even sing songs sometimes to encourage people to make a decision softly and tenderly. I don't know about you, but those aren't the kind of moments that, where the Lord really uh, uh, spoke, so to speak, to me. It was the pounding. It was the sermon where it hit too close to home. It was, a, it was the sermon that scared me. It was a sermon that rocked me and stepped on my toes. And it was the one where I had to look inside where nobody else could look. You see, that's where the Lord looks. And he can set you free from all the guilt that's connected with sin. And I can tell you the biggest burden that you'll ever face is guilt. And there is not one person in this room that can deal with guilt. 
You can put it out of your mind. You can go on and live a day. You can live a couple of days. You can, you can put things out of your mind to some degree, but you'll never be able to really deal. You will run for the rest of your life away from guilt because that is the human condition that we have. Not a sinful nature, but a human condition. We all make the free will choice to sin, and we all have to absolutely deal with the payday that's coming for that sin. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus paid that for us when he suffered. That tells us that sin's no small thing. It's not small ball. We're talking about big stuff. And then he said repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. That happened. That actually happened in Acts chapter 2. Those people that realized he was the Messiah and they had killed him, they were the ones that literally some of them there had said crucify him. They were the ones that said his blood be upon us and our children. They were the ones that heard Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and those that are far off and to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Then they that gladly received their word, that word that was preached first at Jerusalem, then they that gladly received their word were baptized, and that same day were added unto them 3,000 souls. Verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. That's nothing to do with me. That's nothing to do with any other man. That's going to be the power of God to, to, to give you something you can't get yourself. Remission of sins. Jesus opened the word to help people see he was the Christ. Open your eyes to see the words of Jesus give eternal life. Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. He was preaching this to people that were totally not liking it. The Bible even says that. Very sad. He's very upset. They're telling him it's a hard saying. And he asked his disciples, are you also going to leave me after they had left? And Simon said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Tell me that tonight. What's your plan for your sins? What's your plan for your mistakes? What's your plan for the stuff you've messed up on? What's your plan for when you miss the target of an infinite holy God that holds me and you accountable? See, that's where the rubber meets the road because we don't have a plan. Oh, I'm going to run away from him. Well, that's a, that's a good plan. Where are you going to go? You going to go home? What are you going to do then? Well, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do my thing. Then what? What's going to happen? You're going to hear me say this all week long. Five days, you'll probably hear me say this. Every single person in this room has a six-foot hole that's going to be dug one day for them. Six feet in the ground. You're going for it. 100%. We have a 100% death rate. Everybody in this room is going to die. No promises. Of all the things that people hold God accountable for, I fail to understand why it is that they don't trust a God who said, listen to me, all of you physically are going to die. You will die. But I can save you from the penalty of not only that grade that you don't have an answer to get out of, but also the second death that you don't even want to think about that one day is going to happen. Jesus, Jesus is the one who has the words of eternal life. He always has and he always will. Help our eyes to see the words of Jesus set us free. That's a great word. 
Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? You know how many people listen to this message or listen to a gospel sermon and they say, How do you know how to make me free? Well, I don't. Colin doesn't have any opinion about this. What I can do is read it, and he said that it would make it so. Listen to what else he says. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say unto you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It's kind of like this. The son gives you the ability to be a child of God. God gave him the authority through his plan, through all the things that he suffered. He commuted to him, you might say, to be the author of eternal salvation. The same God that was the one that led Israel all the way through all the things that they went through is the one that now because Jesus suffered and committed himself and trusted God Almighty and kept everything about the will of God. He kept everything about the old law. The Bible says also by the things that he suffered, he was perfected. And he has a right in that perfection to ask us to surrender. And so the Bible says, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. That's really what he's asking for. When he said, if you will abide in my word, you will be my disciples and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It was Jesus who said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14 and verse 6. This is one of my favorite parts of this sermon and it's something that I think every person needs to know. You need to open your eyes and know that you're not alone. You're not living this life all by yourself. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority have been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So important. Listen. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, we know right out the gate he said, Make disciples. One of the ways that you make yourself a disciple is if you simply surrender to the will of God. One of the other ways that you can know you're a disciple is if you have taken upon yourself a baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The only three persons, the only three persons that can ever justify you from sin. No man can do it. But those three can. Those three can. He says, though, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's, let's look at that for just a moment. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus said this to a fairly large group of people, but specifically His apostles. Listen to what else He said. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is He who loves me. And He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love Him and manifest myself to Him. Listen to what else He said. 
He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which, which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very moment that you decide you want to be saved and you want to have remission of sins, there's going to be three names that are called out. We're going to appeal to the authority of Jesus Christ and we're going to baptize you for the remission of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The three most powerful names that will ever be uttered. The three most important names in your life. And what the scriptures tell me is that I'm not alone. It, he tells me that basically if I live by family, if I live in this reality and I make sure that I'm a person that keeps the commandments of God and I'm trying to live my life according to what the will of God teaches, he plainly says you're going to, have the, you're going to experience what it means to have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, is that some sort of a mystical fog? Is that one of those things? That uh, somehow you're just going to be driving down the road and there's going to be an audible voice that speaks to you and you're supposed to do what that audible voice says. Listen, if you're driving down the road and you've got somebody's talking to you, make sure it's not Siri, first of all, or some sort of an Alexa overload deal uh, of whatever it may be. If there's something else that's going on, you might want to check that out. And I say that in jest a little bit. But if you feel like God is truly speaking to you, I want to tell you one thing about how that works. I hear people all the time today even say, I just feel like God is leading me and then fill in the blank. What I know for sure is this. When Paul wrote to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 1, he said, Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, you just need to know this right now. There's no such thing as another message. The only message we have is that message that is revealed in the word of God. And so everything you experience and everything you feel and however you feel led must be judged by the objective standard that has been revealed already from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything that God would say would be in agreement with that revelation. And there is nothing that I ever feel or you ever feel that if contradictory to what the Word of God teaches, I'm going to go with what the book says because the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And the last time... You stop and consider what hearing is. If I feel something, if I hear something, if I see something, if I touch something, that is certainly not the walk that we're called to. We're called to be a people that walk by faith. And that is such a definitive statement that the Holy Spirit made to the Galatian church that we have to be careful that whatever and however we feel led by God, it must be in the direction and held accountable to the already revealed revelation we find in the Bible. Because there will be a thousand things that come up in your life and you're like, well, you know what? I don't see anything wrong with me doing that. And then all of a sudden, before long, I feel like I have a right to do that. And before long, I'll feel like maybe God is good with it. And before long, I feel like God has told me that that's okay. That's how that works. If you want to believe something like that, all I will tell you is that God absolutely holds us accountable when he says, if you don't have a love for the truth and you have something going on in your life where you just want to believe it however you want to believe it, God will send you strong delusions that you will believe a lie. In other words, God's going to let your free will cement and harden and be what it is. He's not going to override you. He's going to do everything he can to appeal to that, but ultimately you're going to get, you're going to get what you get. 
and it's going to be because of what's going on in your heart and your mind. He does hold us accountable for having a love for the truth. So in other words, when somebody shows us something that is a standard superior to however we're believing or practicing our life or practicing Christianity or whatever it is, what we're called to do is be a lover of truth so that we elevate our actions, our beliefs, everything about our life to what we know the revealed Word of God is. And we can know, we can know then that we're not alone because whatever the... Holy Spirit revealed, the Father is good with. Whatever Jesus revealed, the Holy Spirit is good with. How do I know that? He said this, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. When Jesus took the role of the Son of God and the Son of Man on the earth, He subjected Himself to the absolute completion and fulfillment of the will of the Father. And he asked, he asked God three times about the last and final piece of it all when he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, if, if it is possible, please let there be another way. Not my will, but thine be done. And there was no other way. And so because of that, when you see these words up here, those things mean something. And what they show is the Holy Spirit... And Jesus and God the Father are on the same page. And isn't it wonderful to know that every day you live your life, you live by faith and confidence in knowing that you have the presence and you have the absolute power of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is not just one moment in life that takes away your sins and they show up and then go home and leave you off to yourself. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but that's what the Lord promised us. Help us see that we serve the God of angel armies. God allowed Elisha's servant to see the army of angels that were ready. In the worst moment heaven had ever experienced, Jesus told us what was going on in heaven. In the garden, the Bible says, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, this is Peter, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, let me just stop and say, he wasn't aiming for his ear. He was aiming to lop his head off, and he went down like this, and he just got an ear. That's kind of how that went. I just Verse 52, but Jesus said unto Peter, Put up your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? You stop and, and look at the angels for just a minute, and here they are. And they don't know what's going on. They have no idea what's fixing to happen here. I'm pretty convinced of that by a lot of reasons. First of all, because they didn't understand Jesus' real role in the scheme of redemption. Obviously, they heard what he was saying. They knew, they knew somewhat of the plan of what they observed. But the Bible says that the angels figured out God's plan of redemption when the church was established and they understood it. And all the principalities and powers that looked on, observed, and saw exactly what God's plan was. And that was to give us a second chance. That was his plan. So in this moment of legions of angels, imagine these angels. As they're standing around looking at each other like, what, what, in, the, what in the world is going on? Can you imagine what these angels must be feeling? These are not little, uh, little things uh, that, that, again, just float around. We're talking about... We're talking about words that mean fire that are referred to as angels. And it's just amazing. 
And here they are, and Jesus is, has knowledge of this moment, and he's up there, uh, they're up there, and, and you can just kind of imagine what they're doing as they're sitting there like, when do we, let's go fix this. We, we can fix this right now. One of us can fix this. Just let one of us go. We got, we got all, these, all these angels lined up. Let us go fix this. The one that they knew as God the Son, the Christ the Messiah, was going through the misery of a mockery of a trial and scourging. And they saw him go through a crucifixion and they wanted to fix it. And it shows that the plan in the mind of God was hidden from Satan and was also hidden from his own angels. They didn't understand it. But make no mistake about it, the only thing that kept this world in existence is Jesus made eye contact with you almost 2,000 years ago. And he's made eye contact with every human being that has ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and stopped to look at who he is and what he is. And he has said, I stayed on this cross and I took these stripes and I took this beating and I gave my blood and I went through this misery and I went through the worst thing you could ever imagine and I did it for you. Because if he had opened his mouth, if he had lifted one finger, metaphorically speaking, it would have all been over with. It would have all been over. But he loved you and he loved me. And he loves everybody. And he still is calling people with that same message. This power that he has. We serve a God that literally has angel armies. Angel armies. It's incredible to me. God always reminds his people of his presence. In Deuteronomy 31 and 6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You read on in Psalms 46, God our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Be merciful to me, he would say. Oh God, be merciful to me for my soul trusts in you and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God, most high, to God who performs all things for me. That's who we serve. You think you've had a moment of problems you look at Moses and you look at David and you look at men that God loved, God had relationship with, but yet there were plenty of moments where their enemies popped up their head and they had to trust completely in God and there will be moments in your life where you're not going to have anywhere else to go and the first place we need to go, not the last, will always be our confidence and trust that we serve a God that will not let us go through it by ourselves. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. How close do you want to be? Only artists can kind of capture this moment. How close do you want to be to Jesus? I'll just tell you, it's entirely up to you. It's entirely up to me. That's where he wants us. That's where we need to be. The story so long ago of Daniel and the lion's den is one that has always captured my imagination, even as a little boy. 
you hear the preachers talk about and you read about the story of this man of God that had been cast uh, into this pit and he didn't deserve it. And there are a lot of people in this room and there are a lot of us that whatever, whatever circumstances of life that are fair, there are plenty of other ones that just not fair. You feel like that you're, you're in the middle of, of something that you don't deserve and yet you don't know what else to do. Well, Daniel finds himself in a situation where the king's decree has been signed and he goes. That decree, of course, was that they knew he was going to pray to God and they knew what his schedule was and they made a plan where if anybody did what Daniel was doing, it meant the lion's den. And so they trapped him and they took it before the king and the king was very much upset about it. And he goes and tells Daniel, I love this part, I know your God will save you. I just know it. But boy, that king was sweating it. And so that night, they threw Daniel into the lion's den. That king didn't sleep. Nobody much slept. The enemies of Daniel thought that they had won a victory. And those hungry lions paced around him. And the Bible says this. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. This is the next morning. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. O king, I have done no wrong before you. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Do you have a faith and a confidence that your God is working on your behalf? Working behind the scenes? Sometimes, again, God's going to fix stuff and there's going to be prayers that you pray and it's going to seem to just work out almost like you went through a drive-through window and they handle it express style. There's going to be other times where you wear your knees out and it doesn't seem like the answer you want's coming and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to come. And what God does all along the way is help us understand that He is the one that knows what is best and He is doing everything He can for our best, for whatever we're praying for is best, whatever it is. But one confidence I want you to leave with tonight is a confidence that you serve a God. You've confessed the name of the Son of God and you have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who will never leave you and will never forsake you. That's a promise you can take. That's a promise we all need. Hope is one of those things that all of us need. And what the Lord gives us, what He promises us, what He allows us to have with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is hope. In the worst moments of life, even though it's character building and even though we have to endure it, the Bible says the end of those things is hope. Open our eyes, last of all, to help our children see. That's the most difficult thing, I think, that is, is so hard. How do we make our children see? How do we make grandchildren see? How do you make people see? How do, you, uh, how do you do that? Well, the Bible says it like this. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants 
nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. We just got to keep it going. We just do our very best to keep it going. And keep it going and keep it going and keep it going. We want everybody to see Jesus. Because one day, everybody's going to see Jesus. Everybody is going to know what it is. For those that have never taken the opportunity to confess Him, the Bible says there will be somewhat of a forced confession on that day. The Bible says every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But at that moment in time, there is zero evidence that that is going to do any good for any of, any of us. What, what not only will do good now, but will change our life, is to truly confess every day that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is our Lord. And we see Him as that. Because if He's my Lord and He's my Savior, then I don't have nearly as many tough calls to make. And I've got somebody to go to for advice in the decisions that I make in life and the tough calls that we have to make in life. We've got the greatest person that is with us that has our best interest not only in this life and the flesh, but also in the other world that we simply cannot see. The Bible says we wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, rather, but we wrestle against things that we cannot see. And spiritual wickedness that we cannot even comprehend with our eyes. I think if God were to peel back our eyes and allow us to see all that was going on, sometimes I think it would just absolutely scare us to death. You know, when I was a little boy, I remember uh, we didn't have a TV for a long time, and we went the, fir the first time that I ever watched Old Yeller. And if you know anything about Old Yeller, that moment where the, the bad wolf came in with hydrophobia and bit Yeller and all of a sudden he just about gets out. Little Travis tries to open the door. And finally, just barely in the nick of time, they get the door closed. I remember that because all my when I was little, that was the one thing that kept recurring in dreams and nightmares sometimes. I was scared of that. That was... One of those things. In fact, to this day, my girls will tell you every dog they come in contact with, I'm like, eh, dog got rabies or hydrophobia. I don't think sometimes you know just how much God's doing for you. I don't think many times I don't know how much God is doing for me. Because one thing I know, the devil already has the world. He doesn't have to work that hard for the world. He's doing everything he can to come for you. And what we've got to do is we've got to surround ourselves not only not only with a Sunday relationship and a Wednesday night relationship with God, we got to surround ourselves with an everyday relationship with God and a trust and a confidence that He, that we and He are making it through this together. You can go through and deal with whatever it is with that knowledge. In fact, you can not only go through it, the Bible says, you can go through it with an abundant life. These things are written that you may believe and that believing you may have that life. That is a promise that I want everyone to experience. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never been baptized into Christ. Maybe you've never confessed the name of Jesus Christ. It's the only name that has the power to set you free. It's the only name in heaven that has the authority to stand up for you at the day of judgment. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. In Matthew 10, 32, in the very next verse, I'm paraphrasing, he said, but if you don't do that, I will not stand up and confess you before my Father. Those are serious words from the Son of God. 
His whole purpose was to come and have people to confess Him. That is a requirement of the Father. God basically says, look, I sent my Son. I loved you this much. I hung Him on a cross. He went through the cruel, awful sacrifice for your sins. You will honor Him. You will confess Him. You will surrender to Him. We're preaching that message tonight. We're not preaching a no-cost Jesus. We're preaching to all the Jesus I surrender message. Because that is, that is the message that the Father, God the Father, wants us to preach. Go into all the world and preach this good news to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe shall be damned. Those are the words from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he got from the Father. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.